Welcome to another episode of Out From The Cube. But before we get started on our next episode, I wanted to make sure to thank our sponsor. Polaris Solutions has supported our podcast for the past two years and has been a part of some of the discussions in those episodes. And it was easy for me to support them the past couple of years because I actually worked for them. This past year, I changed jobs, but it is still very easy for me to continue to support them because of the work they are doing to put businesses and products in the best position possible. If you are working on a product or needing to modernize an existing product or looking to get a solution up to the cloud, Polaris is the company that you should start with. They are top-level technical company that is run by amazing people that I am happy to continue to call my friends. You need to start and stop your technical shopping by going to PolarisSolutions.com, getting connected with them, and making sure that you get all your questions answered. Uh, appreciate the support that they continue to give to our podcast, and please reach out to them and get all your technical questions answered. Now, we'll go on to our episode. I can t- uh, will thank you for the support that you have given to the podcast, and l- hope that you enjoy this next episode of Out From The Cube. There we go. We're live. Uh, this is our Out From The Cube Live. It's 1030. And uh, I think as I put a title into this, it was week three of working from home, day three. So week three, day three <laughs> of working from home. And I'm super excited about uh, today. Uh, we have uh, Coach Beckler on, Jamie Beckler. And uh, the reason why I'm so excited is I started my podcast um, actually two years ago. Uh, April, I think it was April 24th of 2018. I started a podcast randomly and I, I think I'm up to episode about 140. And as I got 30 or 40 episodes in, got more active on LinkedIn, started doing some uh, research and reading books and um, talking with people. Coach Beckler's name started coming across my feed and people <laughs> were talking about him. And I got into some John Maxwell stuff and started researching that. And Coach Beckler kind of kept coming up. And so uh, we reached out. I reached out a couple times and we scheduled some things, but our schedules just never matched up. And now we're all working from home. And Coach Beckler reached back out to me and was super excited when I got that message from him so that we were able to connect. So with that, I'm super excited about spending 30 or 40 minutes with you and, and learning about your story and what you're doing and, and how things are going. So with that, I appreciate your time and reaching out, Coach. I really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely, George. I'm glad to glad to join you here for this uh, this uh, virtual this virtual cup of coffee. Yeah, you know, it's I, don't, a, I don't drink coffee. I don't have coffee, but okay. But that is kind of what I've been thinking about um, with some of this. Is just I actually thought I was like, man, if I could have it for however long we work from home and this time that I have, if I could continue to just have a cup of coffee every morning with somebody, um, somebody I know, somebody new, somebody that uh, is kind of in this space, I think that would be a lot of fun. So um, for those that are listening, I am looking at my phone to see the people that are listening. And if you have comments or want to shout out to or have questions for Coach Beckler as he gets as we get going here. Um, but we haven't met before. I kind of like this format of just having conversations <laughs> with uh, people that I haven't met before, but I've wanted to uh, meet and have a conversation with. So I'm excited and have no idea where this will go. Um, but give, give us, I know your background a little bit. And the, and the reason why I feel like there's a connection between us Um, we both coach are both former college basketball coaches. And I think we both kind of coached at the same level. You, you may have reached higher levels, I believe than maybe I got maybe as an assistant, but you coached 
small college basketball, meaning kind of NAIA or division two basketball, right? Yeah. I coached actually at every level. And, uh, I coach, I started off at division one as a, a men's basketball graduate assistant for a guy named Gary waters, uh, who had been in Eastern Michigan. And, and that was his yeah. first job at Kent state. And I was his first, uh, I was a graduate assistant there his first two years. And then, uh, at Kent at Kent state. Yeah. So, oh, wow. uh, yeah, it, that was a, that was a great, uh, that was a great, um, you know, learning experience for me to, to get to learn from him. And he eventually went on to Rutgers had a lot of success. Well, no one has a lot of success at Rutgers, but he had right. a lot of success <laughs> right. for Rutgers. And, um, you know, then he went to Cleveland state and finished up his career there. But, uh, yeah, I've coached at division three, I've coached at division two and, and at the NAIA level is, is where I finished up and, uh, just enjoyed it. I was an assistant and a head coach and, and mainly I coached women. Uh, my first five years was with men. And then I, 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 made that transition over and coached women, uh, uh, took my, mm. took my first job in Texas, uh, as a, uh, women's head coach. So the first time coaching women was as a head coach. And, uh, so there was, there was the transition of being a head coach for the first time and coaching women for the first time and being in the South and, you know, having to control myself yeah. with all the barbecue places around there. Now. So what school was that out in Texas? It was called Laterno university. Okay. And, uh, it was a really, really nice school, really nice area, great facilities. But what I didn't realize, what I didn't truly realize was that it was an engineering school and coaching mm. women in an engineering school presents another set of challenges. There's uh there's not right. a lot of great female athletes that are also engineers. Right. So wh did, where did you grow up? Where did you go to high school and all that? Yeah, I grew up uh, probably in a school that, uh, that you're familiar with. Maybe uh, I grew up in Michigan. And, uh, I went okay. to school at Jonesville high school. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, uh, maybe about 35 minutes, 40 minutes from Sienna Heights where you were at, I think you were yep. at Sienna Heights, right. For a little bit. Yeah. I was there for a year, spent most of my time in Rochester Hills. Okay. Um, in okay. my time in Michigan, most of it was in Rochester Hills. I did spend a year in Adrian, um, okay. as a small college head coach there. Yeah. Okay. okay. So in Jonesville, so then you spent, and then, so you were at, um, so you kind of made those rounds. So for those that don't know, um, you know, part of being a college basketball coach is actually knowing and kind of being embedded into the uh, a landscape of an area and being able to recruit and know and knowing your connections and knowing who you can pick up the phone and, and try to get players from and things because it's it's really all about players. So how talk about that transition from going from. <laughs> Where, you know, the Midwest, the upper Midwest, the Michigans and Ohio's and Indiana's that you were a part of to the South and going to Texas, where I'm guessing you didn't have that many connections and you probably didn't have those connections uh, on the woman's side of the game. So how did you get that going? What, what was your first task list to try to do in terms of trying to fill the team? Yeah, well, you, you, uh, when, I, when I first went to my first head coaching job down in Texas, uh, you know, I obviously took the list that they already had and contacted all those kids, did a bunch of home visits, reached out to them, uh, really, really uh, tried to connect with them and figure out if they're the kind of kids we want uh, with my program. And uh, we went from there. But for, you know, you just hit the ground running because, like you mm -hmm. said, you don't have those connections. And so yeah. so I'm trying to make as many connections as possible. And, and that was in the early years of emailing. You know, not everybody was emailing. And so you're trying to email where you can, You're try but you're, you're just – you're hitting up a lot of phone calls and, uh, you know, you're, you're timing it right. So you're, you're hitting up, uh, you're hitting up a lot of people after nine o'clock when you have free minutes on your cell phone, 
you know, back mm, then, you know, right. some of your younger <laughs> listeners right now have no idea what we're talking about, but there was a point in time when, yeah, when you got charged for minutes and minutes mattered on your cell phones. And, uh, but yeah. if you can wait till after nine o'clock or hit those, uh, those, uh, West coast kids, you know, after yeah. nine o'clock, uh, you saved your minutes, but, uh, yeah, but you just hit the wrong, ground running. But, you know, I made the very first uh, recruiting event I went to, and, and I should have known better than this, but the very first three kids I ever talked to were all committed to major power five schools. And I was at a division three school. So oh wow, I obviously could tell what talent was on the women's game. I just couldn't tell what the talent was. <laughs> Did you get any of the five? Me. Did you get any no, of the five? I was not, I was not <laughs> able to get them to, to, uh, to leave Texas and leave uh, Texas A&M to come play for me at a yeah, division three right. school. I, I just was not able to, to steal right. the heart away. That's great. So what was the biggest change from going from that assistance chair to now calling all the shots and building your staff and getting them on the same page? And I'm guessing, <laughs> I, I'm guessing, I don't know your whole, your story at all, really, but your assistance, and I know D3 is a little different. Like I'm guessing, and I'm hoping that you had one paid full assistant. You, you may not have, you may have just had a GA, you may have had volunteers, but I'm guessing they were probably Texas people that could help you in, in kind of that, that landscape. Um, but what, what were some, what were the challenges that, that, things that you had to kind of conquer from going from an assistant to head coach? Yeah. Well, as I said previously, you know, this was my first head coaching job and there's always transition and there's always uh, a learning curve. And, and I, I look at it like marriage and, and that's terrible. My wife rolls her eyes every, anytime I go to marriage analogies, but you're never, ever, 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 ever prepared for marriage. You might be ready mm-hmm. um, or, and, and uh, it's a great and you point. might you might be more prepared than other people are, but you're never totally prepared for marriage. You might be ready to get married um, emotionally or whatever, but you're you're I was ready to be a head coach. I w- and I was more prepared than a lot of other people, but I wasn't totally prepared. Um, I mm. wasn't I, you don't know what you don't know a lot of times. Yeah. And, uh, you know, fortunately for three years previously, I had been my head coach's right-hand man. And that was, I devoted myself to, to learning how to be a head coach. I tried to think like a head coach, not an assistant. And so I tried to be as, as ready as possible and as mm-hmm. prepared as possible, but you never know what you're getting into. And so just making that, that leap to a head coach the first time is tough enough, but then doing it in the women's game, uh, I had maybe seen two or three women's games my entire uh, the three years previously um, because we always played on the same mm. night, but we played opposite one another. So if they were on the road, we were at home. Oh, so gotcha. I rarely saw women's games. So so just the women's game in general, I wasn't as familiar with. Uh, and so that was uh, mm. that was a, a, a curve as well. And then just like you talked about being in a new area. Uh, Texas is essentially its own country. It's it's a different land. It's totally different yep. than the Midwest, and and well, it was its own country. So you know, it's a it's a it's a whole different breed of of ball game down in Texas. And so, uh, you know, we had all those things, but you know, the plays are different. Uh, what we would run with the men are different than what mm-hmm. we would run with the women. And and I'm not even talking about just slam dunk plays or alley oop plays, but you know, just into the game type place, you know, you can't, yeah. uh, a female's not going to be able to dribble the ball up the floor quite as fast as a male could. So you have to adjust your timing on different plays. 
And people mm-hmm. don't think about that in basketball, but you know, a play you might run with five seconds left, you can't do. Maybe you have to run it with mm. seven seconds or, or different things like that. And so yeah. you have to make some adjustments there. Uh, coaching, coaching men and women, there are differences, certainly. You know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, that old traditional book about, about mm-hmm. relationships. But, you know, there, there is differences, but it's coaching people. And so you have to you have to understand what the people are like, anyways. So yeah, there was a few differences coaching the females, uh, and and I learned that out. I learned that right away uh, on picture day. Uh, <laughs> practice was almost done, and I said, "All right, we're going to end early today, guys." Oh, and I said, "Guys, but they're girls, you know." Hey, guys, we're going to end early today because uh, uh, people are coming in and they're going to take pictures. Man, that mm. was. All the women out there listening to this right now are just rolling their eyes, just shaking their heads like, what in the world are you doing? They needed at least a day because, and, and you can't have your practice right before pictures because they have to do their makeup and their hair. And and that might sound weird and trivial, but that's how they are. They want to look good. Guys, it's like, dude, let's just take this picture, get it over with, and let's get back to playing one-on-one or something. Uh, right. You know, and, and so, uh, certainly I'm painting with a broad brush, but there were little things like that that I had to adjust to and And, you know, me coming from a male point of view and perspective, I didn't truly understand some things and I just had to learn. Yeah. And so you kind of to fast forward. So when you ended up getting out of coaching and now you're um, tell tell everybody what you do now, because I I, I really envy what you're doing. I envy the content (laughs) that, you know, I appreciate all the content that you create and your podcast. And I I've rolled through I've listened to a number of your podcasts and the people that you're interviewing and and getting information from is out is outstanding. And, uh, and, and I, I'm interested on in how you get these people actually, cause it's really great. Uh, the, the people that you've had on your podcast, but what are you doing now? I do uh, leadership consulting speaking, and, uh, I mainly work with sports teams. That's my niche. That's my primary focus. And so, uh, I, I'll work with professional coaches and athletes all the way down to, you know, I'll, I'll go speak and work with middle school teams if, if that's what is needed. And, mm. uh, you know, I just love doing that. I, I love, you know, I'm, I miss coaching. Uh, I, and so this is a way that I can, I can still give back and, and I want to coach coaches. I want to help leaders lead better. Um, I know those are kind of cliches, but you yeah. know, everybody, everybody needs help. And, and I want to help those people that want to be coached. And, and a lot of coaches want to be coached. They want to be better so that they can impact their, their athletes. And so I want to, I want to help with that however I can. So I do workshops. I'll go and speak, you know, just a, a, you know, sometimes it's just a five minute pregame speech for a certain team. They might ask me to come for, but most of the time it'll be, you know, I'll go speak at an assembly for 30, 45 minutes to student athletes, or I'll go do a workshop for coaches. I might do a whole retreat for a whole team, hmm. uh, one day retreat or a one day or, a, or maybe a weekend retreat. I'll go speak at conferences. And as you alluded to, I do a podcast called success is a choice podcast. And, uh, you mentioned 140 episodes for you. That's where I'm at too. Uh, right, right. I did notice week. that when I looked at your thing. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. List. That's awesome. We, yeah. we both have 140 episodes and, uh, and I've also written three books. Uh, my most recent one came out at Thanksgiving. It's called the bus trip. And if any mm. of your listeners or, or people viewing this are are um, familiar with John Gordon, like with the energy bus and, yeah. and training camp and um, those kind of books, he uh, he writes what's called modern day fables. They're fictional books that that have leadership lessons, and and this is what 
my book that just came out is it's my first attempt at that called the bus trip. And we've already had tons of sports teams buy this for, uh, or coaches buy this for their sports teams. So it's been fun to see that as well. So, so I do speaking workshops, yeah. uh, podcasting, and I write books. So I'll make sure in my no- show notes for this, for, for everybody that there's links to, I, and I'll, I'll dig up real quick. I'm sure it's easy. I'm guessing they're all on Amazon. I'll make sure that we have links and we'll have links to all of, uh, how you can track Jamie down on his website and, and access all his podcasts and content and all that. So to kind of get into kind of the guts of this, um, what have you learned in terms of, and this is something that uh, I'm in the software world now. I spent from like 18 to 35 years old pursuing uh, athletics, basketball coaching, and went after that from you know 18 to 35. And then I got out of it and made the big jump into software and learning how to write code <laughs> and build software and websites and products and things of that nature, which was which is terribly difficult (laughs) and I'm not suggesting I was good at it, but I learned a lot about software and now I essentially coach software and business teams. Um, But I still have this coach's mindset of running my teams, almost how I would run an athletic team. And I, I do find a very good parallel to those. And I find that it works for me. Um, but what have you seen in terms of, and what do you try to, what are the similarities that you see from running a basketball team uh, uh, to running business teams? And when you go work with business executives, that what what's the message that you try to share on, on both spectrums? Yeah, one, one of the things is, and, and, and this sounds so cliche in a way, uh, but Simon Sinek wrote a book, uh, Start With Your Why or What's Your Why? I forget the exact title of the yep. book, but, but what is your why? And, and I think every business, every team and, and businesses are a team. Um, you know, unless you're the only person yeah. in that business, businesses are a team, uh, just a different kind, but no matter what organization team business you're in, you have to understand what is your why, because everything else is going to come off of that. So, you know, if, and, and, you know, right now we're going through unprecedented times. The coronavirus essentially yeah. have shut down America. Well, here's the thing. If you in your business didn't care about people before, then now during this unprecedented time, you're going to care about your people even less. And I know that sounds that's harsh, but no, but, but that's it, there is so much truth to that statement. So whatever your why was during a normal time, it's going to be magnified now. And, and that's where you, you know, you really, when adversity strikes, whether, you know, you as a former basketball coach, understand this, when adversity strikes, you know, you really see what your players are like, what's right deep down inside of them. Um, and that's the same way with businesses. So, so we start off with what's your why, because everything else is going to, to, uh, you know, play off of that. Then one of the other things we talk about is in, I have worked with a number of businesses, even though sports is my specialty, I'll work with businesses. And it's amazing how many CEOs, managers, supervisors, two things, and we can get in both of these, two things that they make a mistake on. One is their idea of leadership, what leadership really is. And secondly, who's responsible for the outcomes or what's going on in their their business. So let's take that one first. Mm-hmm. Too many times I'll be called in or, or people will bring me in and say, fix them, fix this team, fix these players, get them to do this or get these, these, uh, you know, I worked with this, uh, airline or this, uh, aerospace. They, they, they're one of the largest companies in America that build airplane parts. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
fix these people because they're not coming in on time or they're not working as well, or we have all this turnover. We need these employees to be better. And what we have to get the managers, supervisors, CEOs to understand is Mm -hmm. it's a team effort. It's not them versus us. It's not them that need to be fixed only. It's a, Mm -hmm. it's a corporate, it's a holistic approach. And, and what we were finding out was like a middle manager feels like, well, they're powerless to do something because the CEO or their supervisor won't have their back or won't do this or this or this. And so what was happening was there's, there can't be a disconnect. So whether you're a coach saying fix these players or you're a manager saying fix these employees, there can't be a disconnect and it can't be us versus them. We're all in this together. It's a we thing, not not a me versus you type thing. Um, and I use a uh, there's a great picture that I use a lot, uh, a graphic that has people on this boat and there's there's a big leak in one end of the boat. And the people Mm. on that end of the boat are furiously shoveling water or scooping water out of the boat trying to get the water mm-hmm. out of the boat as it's coming in. And the people on the other end, their, their comment is sure. Glad the water, sure. Glad the hole isn't on our end, all right. but, right. but at the right. end of the day, you're all going to sink and, and corporations yeah. teams, we all have to understand that we're all in this together. And so a lot of times when we'll go out and work with, with businesses, first of all, maybe they're, they don't know their why. Secondly, they're looking at it as, hey, it's not my fault they're not doing this. Hey, our workers aren't very good. Hey, this, this, and this. But how hard have- is that conversation? How hard is it for you to sit there when, because that would be a red flag to me. If I'm sitting there visiting with you and you say, hey, George, go fix these people. They're not on time, their productivity, their results, everything is not as w- what we need it to be. Go fix them. The red flag would, to me would be, well, it sounds like you might be the problem when we need to start with you. But how do you, how do you frame that conversation? Yeah. So that guy still will pay you to, <laughs> to try to fix everything, right? Well, yeah. I mean, that's you a tough one to, to have, right? You still want to get paid, but you still also want to get results. And one of the way to get results is to not be brash and 100% transparently honest in your face all the time. So what you have to do is you have to, first of all, you have to work up to some of those conversations. You do, you start off with what you can. You take the low hanging fruit. All right. They brought you in because they see that there's a problem. Well, there's obviously a problem. Now, the problem that they see might not be the actual problem. It might be the symptoms, but there's still a problem. So what you try to do is first, you may just have to work on the symptoms. Um, You know, and, and this is probably a terrible analogy in the times that we're living in, but like if I get sick, typically if I get sick, I really don't care if I get rid of the sickness. I want to get rid of the symptoms. I don't care whatever you diagnose me with, whether I have that or not. At the end of the day, I really want to have the symptoms go away. Now, that's going to lead to being healthy, but I would rather have no headache or no sore throat and still be sick. But today, I don't want a sore throat. I'll worry about sickness tomorrow. I want the symptoms to go away. And so what you try to do is you try to handle that low hanging fruit first. You try to take care of some of the symptoms that you can while building up to some of those conversations. Now, if you feel like you have a a CEO or a coach that's very coachable and just is maybe not seeing the right perspective, then you can have that conversation quicker. But it's like anything else. If, if, um, uh, if, if I see you doing something that you shouldn't do, George, and, and I want to tell you about it and we have no relationship whatsoever, you're probably not yeah. going to listen to me. I've been, I've been at so many, like, let's say basketball games, all right, high school or college basketball games. And maybe there's 
three or four kids that are having issues, or, or let's say they're cutting up during the national anthem. That seems to be a very typical thing. If I say something to them, and a lot of people will, a lot of people will say, have respect or take off your hat or, you know, get off my lawn. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll yell at those kids about something. The problem with that is those kids aren't going to change their behavior because there's no relationship there. There's no respect already. And so when I work with a CEO, it's a very similar situation. I can't tell him he's the problem until I've developed some trust Uh, more than just them paying me to come in initially. The, uh, you know, the other, the other thing we look at is, um, you know, the leadership component. And I think a lot yeah, of, so the piggyback on that and just to go back into. Absolutely. Yep. We're having some of a, uh, some lag here, uh, in some audio issues, but go ahead. Um, I'm going to pause for a second and see what happens here. Yep. We're having some internet issues here. I think I got you back. Are you there coach? Yeah, I am. Thank you. Okay. Nope. That's fine. Um, no, uh, and I'm just going to piggyback. This is maybe more of a comment, but I'm, I'm guessing you, you would agree with this. It's kind of one of these things when you went and became a head coach for the first time and you're down in Texas and then you're, you know, with players that you don't know. You don't, you know, you, you're trying to get them know, to know them through the spring and summer and then you start your fall workouts and all that. And getting, I, I found this, getting after people and challenging them and correcting them and providing that feedback to people that I'm not really connected with. Uh, can be combative, uh, very, can be very combative at times, right? They're not listening to you. They don't care. You know, it's kind of one of those things. I forgot who said it, you know, they, they don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. Oh, uh, yeah. kind of one of those comments. Right. But it is the same thing in terms of working with young athletes at the college level or even high school, middle school level and working with 44 year olds in the business world, right? You could go in right. and try to get them to change and do all this and provide feedback on how they could do their jobs better. But if we're not connected, if there's no relationship, if there's no trust, um, then then it, then it's going to be combative. It's gonna it's gonna be a hard thing to kind of do. And that's I think essentially kind of it was what you're saying as well, right? Yeah, you're spot on, George. And and that really can't be emphasized enough. And we we forget that we talk a lot about tough love. Let's say uh, I'm gonna have mm-hmm. tough love on these kids or tough love on these employees because I got to hold them accountable, and that's fine. But two parts of that, people have to remember that there is love in the tough love. So they do have to show some love. Um, And the Mm -hmm. second part of if you want to have tough love, then you better have strong bonds with people. You can't have tough love without a strong bond. Uh, People are not going to listen to you if they don't know that that you love them. And and you mentioned the, the great quote. And uh, I first heard it from John Maxwell, but, you know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Well, there's a key point that gets forgotten in that. They have to know that you care, not just that you care, because a lot of times, you know, for, for us that are married out there, we love our wives, but they don't always know it because we don't always show it. Um, mm. But I still love my wife. I cared about all my players. I just didn't always show it. So that meant that they didn't know it. And you have to actually demonstrate that time and time and time again. And your actions are going to, to show people that you care, not just your words. And that's the same with culture. You know, we talk a lot about culture, culture, culture. Well, culture is more than just, you know, at the team meeting each week, the, the, uh, the boss or the CEO saying, Hey, I care about you guys. Hey, we have a great culture. Hey, I love you guys. 
you know, and it's more than just sending out a memo or an email or putting up a, a cool sign on your, on the wall of your break room or the office, you know, it's yeah. what you do intentionally every day. Your culture is going to be lived out daily and you're going to set that tone um, by what you do and how you act. And, and so your people have to actually know that you care um, if you're going to have those bonds and relationships and connections, which then leads to getting people to do what you would like them to do or, or motivating and inspiring people. You, you know, almost all of us at the end of the day are in the sales business. Now we're not, we may not be this, this, you know, the, this image of the used car salesman, you know, the sleazy used car salesman that, that we all have in our minds, you know, and not all used car salesmen are sleazy, but, but that's what comes to mind when we think about salespeople, they're pushy, they're maybe sleazy sometimes, but we're all salespeople because we're all trying to either sell our opinions, our vision, sell what we're feeling as fact. We're trying to sell my wife on why I shouldn't pick up the socks on the floor. I'm trying to sell my wife on why it's not my turn to do the dishes. You know, we're always selling and people aren't going to buy unless they know, like, and trust you. And so we have to figure out a way to get people to know, like, and trust us. And we don't do that if we don't connect with them. So, uh, the, the, it is the buzzword of culture right now. And I use it quite a bit and, and have a similar message that I try, um, to implement or enhance with the teams that I work with professionally in the software world. Um, but you've written books about this. I've heard you speak about this. I know your guests hit on it, uh, you know, and all the John Gordon stuff and Maxwell stuff that you, uh, that you consume. Um, but what are some of the characteristics of a great culture? Like and, and what you've seen in terms of the teams you've been a part of, the teams you've gone and spoken with, the businesses, the people you've spoke with. If, if, if you were to just visit and talk with me, especially maybe in these trying times, you know, with I've got teams, I've got 18 people in India that I'm working with and I have and now they're all working at home. And I have, you know, I have, you know, 10 to 15 people here locally in the St. Louis Midwest area that are all now working from home. And I'm trying to, you know, continue to build a culture, even though we're not together. But what, what would be things you would just tell me like, hey, in these trying times or even even if they're not trying times with what's going on that I can implement or consider uh, to build my my team culture? Well, first of all, your culture is not the signs up on your wall and it's not your marketing materials. It's not your website. That is what you want people to think your culture is. That's what you want people to think of you as. That's the image you want. So what you have to do is how can we get to that? You almost reverse engineer, you know, and, and I spent my whole most of my career in the college athletics realm. Well, admissions departments and schools have marketing materials. And, you know, it's always the best pictures. It's always the most photogenic. It, it, they're, they're, everything is worded exactly the way they want it to be worded. And then maybe you come on campus and you're like, wait a minute, there's, you know, there's not rainbows and butterflies here. You know, this isn't exactly like what I thought it was. Well, all of our businesses are the same way. It, they might not have the marketing materials, but they all have a website or they all have a mission statement. They all have a vision for what they want to be. But then the CEO or whoever's in charge of that vision, whoever put that vision out, has to then live that out daily. They have to equip their people. They have to uh, then enhance their people and they have to empower their people. And, and uh, let, me, let me throw that out there or equip, enhance, empower. Uh, yeah. And there's some other E's you could use, but essentially those are the three things. So, so let's say you're, 
you're going to, you have employees, whether they're new employees or your current employees, you have to equip them. You have to give them the tools. You have to train them. You have to give them what's necessary for them to do their job, but also you have to equip them and let them know what their culture is that you want. What are our standards? And standards is probably a better word than a lot of other things that we use, yeah. even culture, because that's so big and ominous sometimes. What are our standards? This is how we do things. This is how we want to do things. And so you train them, you equip them, and then you want to enhance them. And what I mean by that is almost like ongoing coaching. And, and some companies do a great job of onboard training. You know, this is how we do things from an X's and O's standpoint. This is what you do with the TPS reports. This is the standard operating procedures. Um, but they don't do ongoing coaching. They don't uh, help enhance and enrich their employees. They're just like, all right, I trained them. Now I wipe my hands of them. They know what to do. Go out and do it. And there's not ongoing improvement. And it's almost like, and the only time you like provide feedback is maybe the year end review. Um, and, right. and as coaches, we're guilty of this all the time. You know, the only time we tell a player what their weaknesses are is at the end of the season when we're deciding, you know, if we're going to renew their scholarship or something like that. And we're like, Hey, these are the three things you need to work on next year or else we, you may not make the team. And it's like, you should have been working with them, coaching them up the whole time. Because at the end of the day, you want all your employees to not only understand the standard and understand what we want to do here, what we're, our vision is, but then you want to enrich them, enhance them so that they can do that as well as possible. And so it almost becomes owner. They take ownership in it. They buy into it because mm -hmm. they're being coached on a daily basis and they're growing, they're developing, they're improving. And the last thing is empowering. Or the third part of that is empowering. You want to essentially empower your employees at any level your lowest level to your highest, you know, your right-hand man, you want to empower them to then go out and have freedom to carry out your vision, to carry out the culture, to make mistakes sometimes, but to also take this company, this business, this team to higher levels because you hired them for a reason. And hopefully you hired them because you saw potential in them and that they can do some things. And, and certainly not every one of your employees or team members are going to be at the same level of empowerment, they're not all going to take the bull by the horns the same way. Uh, they're not all going to be mm -hmm. motivated the same way, but you want to empower them to make decisions. I think all of us uh, watching this right now or listening to this right now have been in a situation where you've, you've had a problem with customer service. Maybe you've gone to the, the customer service desk at a company or an airline or a rental car place or a, a restaurant, whatever it is. And you go there and you say, and that person tells you something like, well, these aren't my rules or these aren't, you know, the, that's, uh, there's nothing I can do. There's yeah. nothing I can do. This is, the, these are the rules or this is what the boss says. You know, I would do it if I could. I mean, and this is such a little stupid mm -hmm. thing. I was at a golf outing, golf outing two weeks ago in Florida, three weeks ago in Florida. And uh, we got free drinks the whole time, you know, free you know, $10, $12 alcohol, everything was free except for cans of soda. Those cans of soda that cost like 15 cents or 20 cents, they were not allowed to give those to us for free. And the cart girl kept saying, well, I'm sorry, that's not my rule. That's the boss's rule. And I thought if mm. you, if you have a situation and that's such trivial, but if you have a situation where you would rather me take a $12 bottle of alcohol 
than a 20 cent diet Coke and your cart girl isn't allowed to do that or, you know, put it in your situation. And a lot of businesses are like that. If, if you haven't equipped, enriched and empowered your employees to make some decisions because they've invested and they think like you do, they're on the same page as you do, then what does that tell your employees? Um, how many times do you go to, you know, you hear the customer is always right. And this is, this is a pet peeve of mine. And there'll be people listening that may disagree with me, but Southwest airlines, their mission statement is not that the customer is always right. It's that, that our employees satisfaction is most important. And if our employees are happy, then customers will eventually be happy. And so instead of when someone comes to a Southwest agent, that Southwest agent, you know, gets overruled by the manager all the time. And we do everything we can to make the customer happy. No, I'm already happy. I'm already thinking about Southwest. I'm thinking about the overall, what we do as a, as a organization, what our mission is. And you know what? I'm going to do everything I can to make that customer happy because I'm satisfied in working here. And I believe a hundred percent in what my supervisor believes. I believe in what the mission statement is. And I'm not giving in to the customer just because it's the customer. I'm giving in because I truly believe in what we're doing here and I'm going to find a solution. Too many customer service people or whatever, you know, they're not happy with their jobs and, you know, they, they you can see it. And how many managers will overrule a, a, a an agent sometimes, you know, and then, you know, you feel like you got, you got stepped on, you feel yeah. like you got thrown, thrown under the bus and it's like, Hey, you know, I have a brain too. Well, help equip, enhance, and empower your people. Man, I, I really like that. And just to hit on a few things uh, that, that for me to take away with that, it's um, you keep having me think of two words. You and you've said you said both words. You said ownership and you said standards. Um, the more that we can, uh, that I. So I'm going to take everything you just said to me uh, to heart with my team. I need to make sure my people have a sense of ownership in what we're doing, how we're doing it, and the product that we're building and the service that we're providing to people and making sure that their voices are heard and considered. And even though we may not do everything that they uh, would like to do, uh, but at least they feel like they have uh, some ownership in it and they're, they're essentially being heard uh, and valued, right? And all that. Uh, the other thing that I really like with what you said, and I'm, I, I stole this from Mike Krzyzewski, um, because the, the, the word... Um, culture does get thrown around. And when I, I do a little bit of speaking and, uh, and when I am, am kind of with my team or we're just kind of talking about things uh, with some friends, this is what Krzyzewski said. Culture is essentially the standards that you set up with your group that are upheld. That's not verbatim, but the standards that you have as a team or a group that are upheld over time. And he doesn't use, and he was very uh, intelligent in what, in the interview I saw, he said, we don't use the word rules. We don't set up rules at Duke basketball. We have standards uh, that may be implemented by the coaching staff, but they, I think at the start of the year, they have a team meeting saying, Hey, what are we, what are the standards that we want to set for ourselves? And they may have some pre-canned ones that they've used over the, you know, the 38 plus years he's been there, but then they, they held each other accountable to those standards. And, but over time that becomes your culture. And when he said that, and when I heard that, I was like, man, that that's a great definition of culture. And because that's what we're trying to do with our group. We're trying to like, Hey, what do we, what are the standards that we have? And I remember when I I've rolled into some organizations and had meetings and they're like, I don't know, we don't have any standards. They change every week. Like I have yeah. no idea, but that is it. Right. Isn't that, 
Absolutely. And, and you use that. So when you pivoted to standards, I was like, man, he's, that's something I believe. Um, yeah. And, and but it that is be, it, isn't it? That, that's the culture, the standards that are upheld over time. Absolutely. And, and it's awesome when you have a team member that doesn't say, well, that's, that's, that's their standard. That's the company standard. It's that's our standard. That's what mm. we believe in. And that's awesome. And when you can get team members holding each other accountable, oh, we're going in. Hey, Hey, that, that's not how we do things here. That's, that's, this is how we do things here. And, and that's, that's great. And, uh, you know, and, and you mentioned standards, you know, well, standard yeah. changes each week, you know, you see that a lot. You also I see, going, you, know, you also see a situation where people will be like, uh, bosses will be like, all right, here are the top 10 things that are most important to us. And it's like, it's impossible for people to handle that many standards. You know, what are the two or three biggest ones and then work to what those look like? Uh, how can we apply these to various situations? You know, the most important thing can't be 10 different things. Yep. Hey, I'm doing this. Our, our video is going in and out. So I'm actually LinkedIn live. I'm going to go right into my house so I can get a better connection with you and make sure I don't lose you because it might be on my end. But awesome. you, um, the one thing I really I like what you're, uh, that you've said, I, I really like I really like the ownership and uh, this is stuff just, I have a, a friend of mine, Jason Wells, who's on two or three night uh, days a week with our LinkedIn live. I've done a number of podcasts with him. I don't know if you know Jason at all. Um, he's somebody to connect with. He's an outstanding person. Um, but we talk about the things that we all know, but do not do. And I, I think that's the title <laughs> of his book. Like we know this, like I know about ownership and I understand, uh, the culture and all this stuff, but, but it's hard, right? The, the, the easy, the simple is not always easy, right? <laughs> well, uh, the simple, well, and we talk a lot about that. The other thing that I really like what you're, how you're phrasing things. And I want everybody to really understand what he's saying. And it's really simple, but it's hard is to get your people to think in terms of we, and that essentially started with coach, uh, coach's first comments where he was, you know, talking about when he goes into businesses and they start talking about their problems, their fixes, their results, they're not doing things as opposed to we could be better. I could be better. I could be a better leader. I could do better at X, Y, and Z, but we collectively have to get better. And you've used that word uh, throughout the entire 41 minutes that we've been together. You've been using the word we quite a bit. And, but why is that so? It's easy, but hard. It's simple, but hard. Why is that so hard for people to <laughs> well, think in terms of we? Well, well, my podcast is called success is a choice. And, uh, you know, I know I should not drink diet Coke. I should be drinking water and I shouldn't be having a Kit Kat. I should be having an apple. There's things that we know we should be doing. We just don't do it because we don't want to, because it's not fun or it doesn't satisfy us right that minute. Yep. And, and sometimes we choose now something that we want over what we really want most, but it's down the road. And so, you know, yeah, we, we do that sometimes, but, but we all have a little bit of ego. We all have a little bit of selfishness. We all have a little bit of self-preservation and, and we do think in terms of me and we are in a society and a culture today where people throw each other under the bus when people would rather be more right than find the right way um, and have the right mm -hmm. result. And, you know, I'll tell coaches, I'll tell leaders all the time. It might not be your fault what just happened, but it is 100% your responsibility to find a solution and try to move your group forward. And, and how many times I said as a coach, 
man, these, these kids are idiots, man. These kids, they screwed up. They lost this game. This was terrible. I'm blaming mm. the players. And you know what? I wasn't the one that had the turnover. I wasn't the one that made the boneheaded decision at the end of the game, but you know what? I'm the one responsible for helping them learn how not to do those things. And I'm mm. responsible for helping them learn what to do and how to live up to that standard. I'm the one responsible for inspiring them daily to live out the standards. And, and I, I tweeted out, Man, it's big. I tweeted out something last year, the year before that said something to the effect of uh, losing players, get bored in practice, winning players, stay engaged in practice. And that got like, you know, three bajillion engagements on social media. I then responded the next day with uh, a follow-up to that. And I said, winning coaches or losing coaches have bored players. Winning coaches have engaged players because they inspire them or something to that effect. And it got mm -hmm. like crickets mm -hmm. because the, because the problem is we all want to blame the player. Well, that player is bored or our worker is disengaged. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. There was a study done by Gallup. Gallup poll last year did a study and they found that 75% of workers are disengaged. Well, no kidding. Who wants to go to work? I only want the paycheck. I don't want to go to work. So you have to figure out a way to inspire your people, to engage with your people. Yeah. It's their fault that they don't want to go to work. Yeah, maybe, but it's your responsibility to give them a reason, give them hope, yeah, sell them on it. It goes back to you're a salesperson, yeah. sell them on that, that quote unquote boring job why they should go to that or sell your player on why they should be a third option on this play, but they still have to set that screen or that they're going to come off the bench or that they have to run those sprints at the end of practice. Yeah. Kids don't want to do that. And, and, and so we get into this situation where, you know, we only think about our perspective. Well, they, I, I worked with, I was working with this CEO that's making, I mean, 50 million a year. Okay. A huge, huge company. And he told me, I, I don't know why, I don't know why my employees aren't happy. I mean, I pay them a lot and I'm mm. like, yeah, but if they don't, yeah, you pay them a lot. They love that. But after a while, that doesn't get them out of the bed. That doesn't get them happy to come to work each day. That mm. just gets them to come to work. It doesn't make them happy and inspired to come to work. You got to find out something else. Now, yes, <laughs> pay your people as much as you can, but you also have to figure out other ways. Um, Sometimes they just want a day off or sometimes they want to be able to go pick up their kid. Yeah. Sometimes they it. just want to be appreciated a, a pat on the back. Well, I, you know, they should know how to rebound if, if you're a coach, well, they should block out. They should have done this. That's what they should do. I'm not going to pat them on the back every time. Well, I should pick up my socks too. But when I do, I want my wife to make a big deal about it. You know, I want her to appreciate that. I want her to appreciate when I, when I do right. you know, X, Y, and Z, even though that's what I should be doing. And yeah. I, still yeah, want to be I, I got a great quote from somebody on my podcast, but you, you are what you celebrate. So, I mean, I think as leaders, you've <laughs> yeah. got to celebrate that. Like, and you've got to celebrate the behavior that you want to, to reinforce. Absolutely. So if it sucks, like you should get the pat on the back because if you, the, because you're going to walk away feeling like you're the guy, like you're the man. And then all of a sudden you're going to be doing that more to, because it doesn't matter doesn't. how old you get. You want acknowledgement. You want to make make it feel like you're valued and important and all that sort and, of stuff. And I'll go picking up socks. And I'll go, I'll go a step further, George. If if you make this big sale at your company, man, uh, yeah, high five that salesman. But man, go over, 
high yeah. five, high five, uh, billing. Go over and high five the lady in billing who sent out that bill on or the no invoice question. on time. That's a we thing. Celebrate as much. You know, that's like celebrate as much for the offensive lineman who blocked on that touchdown as you do for the running back that scored the touchdown. Yeah, you know, that's, that's huge, man. You've said you've got me thinking about more things. Uh, <laughs> and I really appreciate this. I'm so glad you reached out to me because. But it is that it all boils down to the we and making sure that when we do something great with my team in the software world, that the person that may not have even touched that line of code, that work, that testing, the, anything, that they feel the juice and energy and um, value as the person that checked in the code and got it to the equipment we have. Right. Well, I mean, because that's- maybe they, maybe they did. And, and sometimes we have to connect the dots with this. Maybe somebody that didn't have anything to do with that particular project or that particular sale, if they weren't there doing their job that seems totally unrelated, if they weren't doing that well, you might have had to divert resources from that project or sale to cover their butt. And now all of a sudden that sale or that project isn't as successful as it is. And so we don't always see this stuff, but man, it. You know, I, you know, I deal with sports a lot. That 15th man on a basketball team, you might not think of as important, but that 15th man might be best friends with your star mm. or they might be the person that at timeouts yeah. might be cutting up and taking attention away from some of your players where if they're engaged and they feel like, Hey, I'm part of this team, I'm, even though I'm not doing much, I'm part mm-hmm. of this team. Maybe they don't cut up as much. Maybe they you know, when the star is complaining about something, maybe they speak some life into that star behind the scenes. You never know. Right. Yeah, um, there's a great quote, and I'm envious of you uh, on many fronts, but uh, you had Kevin Eastman on your podcast, who is mm-hmm. phenomenal. And I, I'm not going to yeah. tell you my personal story of Kevin Eastman, but I listened to a podcast with him yesterday with Ed Molitor, and he had, and I don't have my notebook in front of me, but I think it was the public may see as invisible, the team sees as invaluable. And oh, so good. that's kind of what you're saying. Like, hey, this person is in the public eye, invisible. Isn't that important? Nobody recognized. But to the team, to the 10, 25, however big your team is, that could be the most valuable person, but the public would never know it, right? Yeah. Because maybe they're doing something Absolutely. else to enable everybody else. And I thought that was great um, by Kevin Eastman. I have not heard your podcast with coach Eastman, but I mean, he's phenomenal. Um, yeah. He's, he's, that. he's one of the, the, like, I feel, I feel very inferior as a former basketball coach when I compare my basketball mind to his mm-hmm. and, you know, Teddy Roosevelt said comparison is the thief of all joy. Uh, I, I feel like I'm, uh, thieving my joy. I'm stealing my joy a lot when I, right. when I listen to some of the people I, I interview, like, like a Kevin yeah. Eastman, because I'm, I'm, he's so far above me in, in knowledge, but he's, he's so good. He's so good. Yeah, He was great. Yeah. I just, my, I guess my quick story about Kevin Eastman, and this is something I think it's, it's a basketball story. It is my story, but I think you got to really consider this when you're leading people. I met, uh, he was a head coach at Washington state. I grew up in the state of Seattle, uh, state of Seattle. This, I grew up in the state of Washington outside of Seattle. And I think I saw him at a final four. Um, and nobody was around and all that. And I just went up and introduced myself and I was probably 18 to 20 years old. And that guy spent more time. He, he made me feel like I was John Wooden. He made me feel so special and so significant. And I was some young kid and he spent all this time with me. Um, and it wasn't like 
you know, hours or anything, but he just had that connection. And I was like, and I, that I'm 46 for almost 47 years old. And I still remember that. And it's one of these things like, you know, people don't, people remember how you make them feel. And I, and I, I forgot where I, and you know, and I, re, I will always like, it's been, you know, that could have been 30 years ago or something like that. And I still remember how he made me feel as a young coach coming up in that profession. And it is that in terms of leadership, it is making how, how I make my people feel. So when they're, you know, down the road or somewhere, you know, or, you know, a, a year down the road, like they're going to go, they remember how maybe I made them feel, um, which will allow us to be connected and things of that nature. But man, he was something else. Absolutely. He's, he's great. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you, uh, you mentioned, uh, 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 just how you, how, how someone feels and, and that kind of stuff. And, and mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's a big part of leadership. And, and one of the myths of leadership is that you have to have a position of leadership and that's not the case. Uh, John Maxwell says leadership is, is, you know, not positions or titles or flow charts or that kind of stuff. It's just one life influencing another. And so mm -hmm. your secretary, uh, some of these businesses, those, the secretary has more to do with your culture and what's going on in your company no than you do as the CEO. Um, no question. And, and, and the influence that you bring is, is amazing. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, that anyone that can have used to say that we're the most influential in an athletic program are going to be the secretary, the trainer and the janitor. Right. And that's who we kind of said was kind of the most important. Um, I cut you hi. off there. Hi. Hey, hi. LinkedIn live. How are you? <laughs> it's my son, Jalen. He's back from a walk, oh, but, good. Uh, you mean I but, uh, but, uh, you, uh, yeah, you know, the, the people think that leadership, you know, you only have to be the manager, you have to be the CEO, but I'm telling you, if, if you're, let's say you're a bank manager, you obviously have authority, um, from your position, you have some leadership capabilities and potential, but what goes on at lunch and what goes on in the break room between oh, yeah. bank tellers does more for what's going to go on in your bank in the culture and how customers are greeted and the way customers feel than anything that that bank manager is going to say in some meeting. Um, and, yeah. and you can apply that to any business that you're in or any coaching, you know, what goes on in the locker room, what, you know, my book, the bus trip, you know, what goes on in the back of the bus, you know, what goes on when you stop at a rest area, you know, for a break yeah. as a team, when those players get together and talk, that's building or that's either strengthening or tearing down your culture more than what the coach just said in the locker room after the game. Yeah. Man, that's big. And the phrase I'm thinking of there, I forgot it might be a Don Meyer quote, but it's like, who's coaching your team when you're not there? You know, when you're not around, who is, who is enhancing uh, that yeah. culture and who's, and, you know, who's doing all that, man, that, you're right. that's, that's, that's part of it, man. You got to build up your, your environment, your culture, your people enough so that when that you can be removed, and it continues to live on, right? You've got, you've got to develop it in that way. Yeah, and, and related, Don Meyer also said, uh, he said that, and then he, he kind of followed it up or said at a different time, he said, you can choose your captains, but you can't choose your leaders. Ah, that's and, big. And going back to what I said, you know, leaders aren't necessarily positional. Leaders are anyone. I mean, uh, uh, you know, the the two newest employees in your organization could be leaders because they can influence somebody. They can influence each other. They can influence somebody good or bad. Um, mm. Two freshmen on a team that rarely play, they can influence each other, you know, and yeah. and when you're trying to when you're trying to make a difference, 
on a team, no matter what kind of team you're on, you only need one little spark. Sometimes you only need, you know, just a small step to get going. It might be those two freshmen on the bench that start cheering. And then all of a sudden the older kids that are on the bench start cheering. And, and those, those two freshmen, you know, dweebs, essentially, they were the ones that got things going. And, and I talk about, you know, we've all been to big sporting events when the wave happens. Yeah. Well, I have never been to a sporting event where it came on the jumbotron or they made a PA announcement saying, all right, guys, we're going to do the wave now. It always happens when one Yahoo decides he wants to do the wave and then he gets mm. another Yahoo to do the wave and another and another and another. And before you know it, right. there's a whole section of drunk Yahoo's doing the wave. And then before you know it, 80,000 people are doing the wave. And it started with one person getting someone else Man, to do great, something. That's a great point. That's a great point. We're on, we're on break. We're, we're in the lunchroom or whatever. We're around the water cooler. What we're doing right there, we can influence people positively or negatively for to achieve the culture, the standards, the vision. Yeah, that's great. Well, listen, I, I, I mean, for a cup of coffee, we're 55 minutes in, never had met each other or talked with each other. This is what I love. I actually enjoy this so much and have enjoyed this. And this is, there's a lot to take away. This is definitely a podcast or a LinkedIn live and the content that I will listen to again with my notebook. Cause you, um, you know, you gave us actually quite a bit and this is, uh, there Thank are many you. things you said, this is what's resonating right now with me. It may not be your fault, but it is your responsibility. I really mm -hmm. like that. I really like that phrase uh, because things are going to happen. People are going to drop the ball. People are going to miss shots. People are going to not meet deadlines. People are going to drop the ball in terms of selling something. I get that. But if you are the leader and you don't look at it as their fault and, and kind of getting after them, but you own it and you make it a we and you sit there and say, man, they did. They did. You may wouldn't say this, but you would think, <laughs> man, they did. They messed up. But it is my responsibility. It's my responsibility to make sure it doesn't happen again, that they have the tools necessary so they can execute it the next time. It's my, that, that we lift them up and that they make that if they messed up, that they still feel valued and appreciated and important that like that's leadership. Um, but I really love that phrase and the other phrase, and I'm not going to get this exactly right, but would you rather be right? Or would you rather get the right results with the right solutions and the right answers? Or would you rather just be right? Um, man, I find a lot of leaders just want to be right without any regard for the right solution, the right strategy <laughs> and tactic and the right results. Well, we and, see that. I really love how you phrase that. Well, we see that we see that all the time in, in business, but we see that all the time in politics, you know, and, and oh, yeah. you know, I would rather, you know, I would rather my party or I get my way than the country be right or to find a the right solution to what's going on. Um, and, and, uh, I was walking, I'm walking with my mom in, in high school and we're walking down the sidewalk and we got to get across the street to the other side. And like a punk kid, I'm not going to go up to the crosswalk and cross. I'm going to cross right then. So I go to walk across the street. And my mom grabs my shoulder and pulls me back. I'm like, mom, what you doing? She's like, you can't go. There's cars coming. And I said, mom, I got this. I got this. Don't worry. I'm like, pedestrians have the right of way nah. and I'll never forget. She said, yeah. And you'll be dead. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I think of that often of right. how many times we might be the smartest person in the room. We might be, uh, you know, we might have the right way of doing things, 
But if the right result's not going to happen from that, or if other people aren't going to go along with us, then we're just dead right. And and positional leaders are like this all the time. We're arrogant about something or, hey, I'm right. This is this is the way to do it. Well, it might not be the only way to do it as well. Yeah, man, I, I really... Man, I really appreciate it, our hour together here, and I, I, I'm going to go through and take a lot of notes on this. And um, real quick, can you? Uh, I know you mentioned one book that you've. Uh, what were the other two? Or I guess tell us all three books again that you've uh, written, and I'll make sure they we get them in the show notes so people have access uh, to purchasing them. Yeah, the Leadership Playbook was my first book, and yep. that uh, for design for teams, and it goes through all different styles of leadership and has, or all different kinds of things that you need to know about leadership and, and tons of stories. So it's easy to flip through, find the story. Maybe you want to read about Tom Brady or read about Michael Jordan or read about, you know, the New England Patriots or whatever. We have stories about all them. And then uh, I wrote uh, Building Champions, Success Principles from A to Z was my second book. And that's uh, like the first chapter is attitude. Second chapter is belief for B. C is courage. And so we talk about each of those 26 letters and uh, put a word to it and talk about those. So they're, they're quick little snippets and that's for normal people, athletes. It doesn't matter. Anyone could read that mm. though. It is sports driven. Um, and then my third book, we're really excited about that. Like I said, it came out at Thanksgiving, the bus trip. It's uh, you can read it in about two hours. It's pretty simple and uh, it just follows a fictional basketball team that goes on a long trip for the whole day. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're, they're going through a challenging season and they have a number of conversations and situations that arise that helps them understand how to be more positive leaders and better teammates to one another. Mm -hmm. And, and it's player driven. It's not coach driven. Um, it's so it's, we wanted to give players an opportunity to see what conversations should look like. And we had a, a number of high school, college coaches and a number of student athletes on our advisory team so that we could get this as realistic as possible. And cause that's, that's what I wanted to hear. I want, I loved it. I love it when we get feedback from that book saying, man, it's like, you've been on our bus rides or man, you've been in our locker room. You know exactly what they're saying. And mm -hmm. I'm like that, that's, we wanted to be able to give a tool to coaches to give to the players so the players could understand how to yeah. act when the coach isn't around. Yeah. Uh, where, where do you live? I live in Akron, Ohio, oh, just okay. outside of Cleveland. Yeah. And, um, man, I, I've really, uh, I've, I've really appreciate How are you? Um, how are you using this time? Do you have like a strategy, uh, like this time that we have at home that we're all, how are you using this time? Did your mindset change? Like, Hey, when we come out of this, when it's, you know, a couple weeks, months, whatever it might be, when we roll out of this, I'm going to have done this. Like, do you have that kind of mindset and drive? Are you looking to make some, do some things with this time? Yeah. You know, my time and what I do now compared to what I normally do hasn't changed a whole lot. Uh, my mm -hmm. mindset has changed a little bit in terms of, uh, all right, I'm going to take this time because I can't go out and speak or because I can't go and physically work with teams. I have a little extra time that I'm now able to do some preparation. And so, cause I work from home anyways. And mm -hmm. if I'm not home, I'm traveling and speaking or working with a team. Well, I mainly work with sports. So everything got shut down. I had right. a lot of things canceled for the next few months, but what I'm doing now is I have a, a longer term to do list 
of some projects that we wanted to get done mm-hmm. and uh, like an online leadership program that we're putting together. Well, that's stuff that I've a- been able to work on a little bit more now because I have a little extra time since I'm not traveling. Cause when you travel, you can't really get as much done. Right. So even though I'm still on phone calls with clients or on phone calls or on zoom, you know, video conferences or whatever with people, I don't have that travel time. So I do have extra time now to, to work on some things and kind of get caught up or, or to plan ahead. That's, that's even better is when you can prepare and plan for some of those things. Well, good for you. And again, coach, I really appreciate, I think it was maybe a week and a half or so ago, you reached out to me on LinkedIn, just sent me a note. Um, and, and we were able to find time and arrange this and I'm trying to do these once a day, uh, you know, for everybody that's listening, you know, you can reach out. To, uh, what is your website? I'll put it in my show notes as well. But it, um, I was on it this morning. I don't know if it was. Jan- yeah, uh, they can go to coach coach Beckler.com and it's B-E-C-H-L-E-R. It looks like Bachelor, but coach Beckler.com and uh, they can follow me on Twitter at coach Beckler. Okay, perfect. And look for his, you know, look for all his information in the show notes here. And um, coach, I really appreciate your time and, um, you know, best of luck to you. And I hope that you and your family continue to do well. Thanks, George. I enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for, thanks for talking today. Oh yeah.